HSBC Business Editions Minat. Welcome to Built to Last, Healthy Cities and Sustainable Buildings. My name is Dan Howlett, uh, the Regional Head of Commercial Banking for the Middle East, North Africa and Turkey at HBC. I'm really delighted to be speaking today. Well, clearly the world shifted materially uh, and it demonstrates that connectivity and insight is more important than ever. I'm delighted to announce the launch of our regional report, which is incredibly topical, Built to Last, Sustainable Building Frameworks, which focuses on Turkey, Saudi and UAE and it's been done in conjunction with EY. So without taking up more time, I'd now like to introduce our three expert speakers. I'd like to say we've got Professor Greg Clark, a Senior Advisor of Future Cities and New Industries for us here at HSBC. Chris Shellikens, the EY Partner in the MENA Climate Change and Sustainability Team. And finally, Zoe Knight, Managing Director and the Group Head for HSBC's Centre for Sustainable Finance. So with that, over to you, Greg. We've seen a great growth of strategies towards the zero carbon city, with a strong accent on vehicles and buildings as key drivers for decarbonisation within our cities themselves. Putting it more directly, 58% of the savings that we can make in carbon emissions over the next period of time will come from the built environment within our cities themselves. Pursuing a zero carbon city agenda is not just about reaping the benefits of decarbonization. It's also about creating a better city overall a city that has cleaner air, has improved service quality and efficiency, has cost savings for businesses in their energy costs and in their real estate costs, creates new jobs and increases productivity and drives innovation in so many ways. So pursuing a green buildings environment and building buildings that are fit to last creates other ancillary benefits that we might not otherwise accrue. This is very obvious, particularly in the Middle East, North Africa and Turkey, where we've seen the emergence of some of the world's most advanced districts. These are districts where governments and private sector investors and developers have deliberately worked together to create a district, a quarter, a zone or a precinct which is deliberately trying to model and demonstrate how new uh, environmentally convergent technologies can come together with superb placemaking, new buildings, a renewed built environment and a wonderful livability offer. So I'm very optimistic that the Middle East is going to prove to be a great demonstrator to the world in how putting green buildings and sustainable construction at the heart of our new approach to urbanization. I'd now like to hand over to Gus, who's the chief author of the report, to talk to us about it. The aim of the report is to raise awareness of green building practices and the resulting socioeconomic opportunities that come from implementing green buildings. Sustainable building practices can help cities and countries honor their climate change pledges that they've made to the UN and as part of the Paris Agreement, but also, I guess more importantly, help them create future-proof infrastructure that might otherwise be at risk um, due to the effects of climate change. 
but perhaps in, in our times at the moment, you know, we're all spending much more time in buildings and we're expecting build, buildings to be safe and healthy for us. So focusing on, on green buildings and healthy buildings is more important than ever. With that, I will hand over to Zoe. And first of all, I'm delighted to be joining you all here to talk about green buildings in Menat. But first off, a note on the Centre of Sustainable Finance. This is a think tank that works across HSBC on how to decarbonize the economy across industry, which is why I'm delighted to be working on this project on buildings, but also takes a look at the financial system response to decarbonizing. Since 2018, the Network for Greening the Financial System has been working out what scenario setting might look like for risk management across uh, banks. And that has an impact on the likes of us and others in terms of how we assess the resilience and risk profile of our own activities. Now, we know that solving climate change means decarbonizing, but also for many sectors, there are initiatives that mean it's difficult to know the optimal path for decarbonization. This transition agenda is becoming increasingly prominent as investors are trying to work out how well their own portfolios are aligned with a two degree or less than two degree outcome in the future. And we don't really see any let up of this in terms of the COVID backdrop. Thank you very much, uh, Zoe, and also Gus and Greg. The first question I have, which I'm quite interested to get your uh, perspective on is in a post-COVID environment, as we talk about sustainable buildings. What other changes do you expect to see in the way in which buildings will be designed for the future in the context of social distancing and also the fact that many people feel that with working from home, builders of the future will need to be designed in a different way. So Greg, can you answer that first and we'll go to Gus and Zoe. Very happy to share a few reflections, Dan. And one particular one is going to be about um, digital working, virtual working, flexible working, if you like. For those of us who have jobs where this is possible, this is going to have very big repercussions on the office and how offices are configured for um, a workforce that, that, that come in uh, less frequently. It's also going to change the way we travel because if we don't need to travel at the same time every day to the same points uh, in the city, we'll be able to diversify journeys and perhaps observe different kinds of social distancing in the way we travel. But it's also going to have very big impacts on the home because the more people who have to work from home or near home, uh, the more we'll see homes being adapted for this new normal, as well as seeing opportunities perhaps for town centers and other kinds of centers to become remote working centers, co-working centers, and everything else. Perfect. Thanks, Greg. And, and, and Gus, uh, your perspective there? Yes. I mean, I, th I think there's significant um, impacts for us going forward. Our need to spend much more time in one place and indoors has meant that we expect much more from buildings now than perhaps we did before. Um, we expect them to be safe and keep us healthy. We don't expect um, them to expose us perhaps to, to more health challenges going forward. With that in mind, I think buildings going forward will probably be challenged in terms of air quality, so ventilation systems, for example, in terms of temperature. We, we've seen issues, of course, in the past around Legionnaire's disease where 
water tanks on roofs weren't maintained and sanitized appropriately. There's also the issue of configuration within buildings that will become much more important, whether it's at home or in office buildings. One discussion I've been following, for example, is how skyscrapers uh, may become much more difficult to operate going forward because we can't have 20 people in a lift going up to a floor anymore. So if you have to keep your social distancing and you can only have three people at a time in a lift to go to a floor, that's going to change how you get five or 10,000 people into a building. So I, I think there will need to be a lot of thinking about what we do with the existing building stock, but also an opportunity as we begin to invest and develop in new buildings, how do we design those to perhaps take these factors into account and enable them to be delivered in a way that, that doesn't hold us back. Thanks, Gus. And Zoe, from a, a, I guess from a, a sustainable lens, what's your perspective? I mean, I guess the key takeaway is that we've all had to respond incredibly quickly and adapt in ways that we really couldn't conceive possible. And so from a buildings and built environment perspective, I think we can do the same going forward. And that might mean that there's this interrelationship between your home built environment and your office built environment. Mm. And I think that creates opportunities for embedding a more sustainable approach to both the social element of working and, and productivity, but also the environment element of the building itself. Perfect. If you look through the different factors that drive a sustainable city, be it transportation, waste, energy, which which one would you say is the key one for a country embarking on a new future city? My answer would be that it's mobility and it's the built mm -hmm. environment. I know that's two. The capacity of the buildings that you create determines what kind of mobility system you need. So if you focus on those two things, you get a long way towards a decarbonized city. Gus? I think the overarching point I, I would make is much more integration. I mean, cities for me are a bit like uh, a pizza, lots of slices that all come together and touch in the middle. And whether it's health, waste, transport, infrastructure, etc., you need all of those to have a fully functioning city. But the key point is really integration. Thank you. And Zoe? And building on integration, it's a collaborative approach in that you can maximize energy efficiency in buildings and renewable power if you have the right policy enabler in place to put solar panels on the rooftops, decarbonize the transport system, etc. So policy enablers as well. Thanks, Zoe, Greg, Gus, and Zoe, all for your time today and your thinking. I guess there's a lot for us to be excited about in a region that I think is, is at the heart of sustainable building and sustainable cities. With that, stay safe. I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you. Listen now to the next episode of HSBC Business Editions.